0: You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind.
1: You're listening to KZON, on Oleander Public Radio. Welcome to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos with Dave and DB.
2: And we
3: are live. All right. Hello, everyone. It is I, DB Spitzer, once again here with the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. On my virtual right and my virtual other right are Gretchen and Dave. How are you two doing this week?
2: I'm good. The for other right is left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's a technical. He has name. two
4: rights. It's all right. Oh. It's all right for rights. Two rights make
2: two rights make a, right, a wrong. No, they make an airplane.
4: Okay.
2: <laughs> Enough of the bad puns. I am well.
3: Good, good, good. How's how's everything been going in uh, y'all's neck of the woods? Cold.
4: Yeah, rainy. It's
3: yeah, sketchy. same. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I didn't get to see the sakura trees. I'm kind of bummed about it. I'm hoping okay. that. I'll get like a small break in the weather to get to check them out, but yeah, mostly it's riding my bike by it going, whoa, oh, it's so pretty.
3: Yeah, yeah. All right. So this week, we've, we've, uh, we've got a couple of things going on. Dave, uh, we've got a guest this week.
2: Yes, we do. We have Ed Gwynn, who played a cattle truck driver in the last two minutes of Texas Chainsaw Massacre who basically, in my opinion, made the movie. And mm-hmm. he answers the, qu- the question, what is or where did Black Maria Trucking come
3: from? Okay.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, All right. Very cool. Very cool. And then we've got some movies. And first and foremost, we're going to be talking about a Lovecraftian place, Sarcommon. So... I don't know if you hide the D like I do, but I don't know. <laughs> I kind of
4: pronounce it like, like you would, like Sarumond. Yeah.
3: yeah.
4: So I was like, Sakumon. Sarumond. <laughs> <"Sock-a-mon." laughs>
3: I just call it Soccer City. So yeah, uh, first up we've got Sarcomon, uh, which is a place located in the Dreamlands, created by H.P. Lovecraft for the dream quest of Unknown Kadath. I can't think of Any other instances of it existing prior to that? I, I I don't, to my knowledge, it wasn't. It didn't appear in any short stories. But I I think you are correct. It's yeah. It's it's a place of antiquity. It's it's uh, close to the plateau of Lang, inhabited by the men of Lang before they were enslaved by those dreadful moon beasts on the Dreamlands moon, but not our moon, because. Uh, they didn't say anything about that when they came back. No, no. No,
4: they didn't. I mean, but there was that whole like cover-up thing you heard about, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, when they
4: switched Kubrick. off the cameras.
2: Yeah, Kubrick edited them out when he faked it. Right,
4: right, exactly.
3: <laughs> All right. Um, slightly related. I don't know if you guys have seen the new uh, Sizzler reel for uh, America's going back to the moon.
2: No. It's I, like this. I have heard it but for some bizarre reason the video
3: <laughs> was turned off when it was on it, it it looks like an action movie and it's like it, that's everyone introducing who they are and what role they'll play and how they're going back to the moon in this many years and yeah nasa like i don't know who they got to edit it and film it and stuff but it it looks like you know nbc <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow it's like an upcoming season of, of Astronauts in Space. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes.
4: The newest drama to enter NBC's yeah. lineup.
3: ABC's 2023 ABC's. Moon. <laughs> <laughs> Artemis, the series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited. I mean, you know, I'm, part of me is like, we can't spend all that money to go to the moon. We've been there. We, wh- wh- what are we doing? And then the other part of me is like, moon. That's awesome. We need to go to the moon.
2: <laughs> you, 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 you saw the scissor reel and, and you bought your ticket?
3: Yeah. Sarcomond. Uh What else do we know about it?
2: So I got out my copy of the Call of Cthulhu H.P. Uh, Lovecraft Dreamlands mm-hmm. uh, from Chaosium. Not that little tiny one that first came out with the black cover. But yeah, the no, big the big one, one with the boat, boat on it. And it says that there are tunnels that take it to Lang, and yeah. that that's where the, the, um, the, the men of Lang, and I assume there are women of Lang too, come and travel. Mm-hmm. And that even though it's abandoned of human beings, this is where Orun lives. And Orun yeah. was a goddess that first, or as near as I can tell, first appeared in a Brian Lumley story, "Mad Moon of Dream." Okay. And she's basically the wife or mate of Monacoa. Yeah. And that's what, that she lives under the ruins there. Okay. Alright.
4: That's all I really, I mean, to me... Honestly, the same. I mean, the only thing I found on it was there is a, a metal band in Brazil, I think, named Caturu, and they did a song called Sarcomand. Okay. <laughs> hmm.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Something I want to point out about Sarcomond, and this is because it has some of my favorite guys in it, Randolph Carter and his army of ghouls. Yeah. Uh, they came out of the tunnels that lead to Sarcomond uh, from the Vale of Panath and such places. So, And and, and that's where they fought the Moonbeast. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So, yeah, a bunch of ghouls and nightgaunts flew out of the tunnels and uh, whooped some Moonbeast behind in Sarcomond sometime in the 1920s or early 30s, but...
2: <laughs> and, and I think this is a, a classic example, sort of, like, there are no real good guys Yeah. in the Lovecraftian mythos, but yeah. here's a case of enemy of my enemies is my friend.
3: Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. But then again, I mean, uh, Carter had the advantage of having a uh, second cousin who was a ghoul, who we recognized in ghoul form, or his cousin recognized him, the uh, the late, great, oh, uh, Pik- Pikmin. 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 Yeah. <laughs> are, are you really late if you're a ghoul? Well. You're former. He's... Former. former. The, the the former Pikmin. <laughs>
2: the artist formerly
3: known as Edward Pikmin.
4: Yes. There you go.
3: There you go. There we go. He changed his name to Meep Meep.
1: <laughs>
3: I'm trying it to remember was, it What's was just a letter and uh, "atlo." yeah well I mean I believe uh, Lovecraft describes the ghouls as meeping yes. so that's that's the sound that I, I imagine ghouls make oh my god meeping. they're
4: like the creatures from um, like Sesame Street they're like meep yep. meep 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 meep, mop, mop, mop. Mop,
3: mop, mop, meep 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 yeah <laughs>
4: wow I don't know if I would be afraid of them at first I might laugh <laughs> Oh yeah. less terrifying sounding um, I have a question. So, when, what do you think of the like? Do you think that the dreams, um, the, this, the, that this, that Sarkamand being the part of the Dreamland, what, what time period of writing style was this for um, Lovecraft? Like, because it's so divergently different from like the Call of Cthulhu and like the other like more, I don't know how to put it, um, the Deep Ones type gods. Yeah, yeah, it's such less a,
3: cosmic horror. Yeah, yeah, definitely less cosmic
2: horror. Lovecraft himself called it his Dunzany period, Mm
4: -hmm.
2: where he was just a super fan of Lord Dunzany, and he was copying uh, basically Dunzany's gods of Pangea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's where pretty much all the um, dreamlands come from. And then he takes and kind of combines it with with. The cosmic horror in Dream Quest, and that's sort of like he takes, I kind, of, I I don't know, I kind of see it as his last hurrah. Yeah. I don't think he did any more Dreamland stories afterwards, and sort of fused this Denzany with Poe in an attempt
3: to create his 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 own style. After mm-hmm. Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath, he had stuff like Outsider, Silver Key, and the Strange House, uh, Strange High House in the Mist. And that was all done around 1926. Yeah. And then he did, with E. Hoffman Price, 1932, Through the Gates of the Silver Key. That was kind of like, in my opinion, his really kind of, um, like... Swan song? Yeah, yeah, it was a swan song. He did stuff, like, starting in, like, 1918 and 1919 with, like, The White Ship, The Doom That Came to Sarnath, mm-hmm. uh, Cats of Arthur, uh Cellophius... Uh, Narletho Tep. Uh, I love those stories. Oh yeah. I have to yeah. say
4: this one. This one's not my favorite, just because, like the well, the the story, the the dream stuff is not. I mean, I think it's so cool, and I would like to see it adapted into like. I think I've talked about this in the past on like interviews you guys have done with me. Is sure. that it would be cool to see it as an animation, just because it is yeah. so like bizarre.
3: Yeah. It, yeah. No. No. I I think this whole like uh, dream cycle. Um, cause it's, it's, there's parts and bits and pieces that I feel like if you put it together, you have kind of a more coherent story of, uh, but, but it's also still even more bizarre, surreal and dreamlike. If you combine a bunch of this stuff together, like, mm. I mean, you can use Selefius as a prologue and then just start going into stuff. You can, mm. uh, shuffle the white ship in white here ship. and there, uh, you can shuffle the silver key in here and there. Then you've got stuff like uh, the other gods, what the moon brings, Azathoth, that you could shuffle here and there. And then you break up the dream quest of Unknown Kadath to fit in, and you treat this like oral history of this this world, but also you have stories of Randolph Carter uh, s- thrown in. And you can even throw some Randolph Carter in there, like the uh, case of Randolph Carter, throw that in there. Mm. Uh, And anyway, you know, um, kind of like it's a story of the Dreamlands, but it's also a story of Randolph Carter, but it's also a story of the Silver Key at the same time. It's It's just kind of like this trinity of things that all kind of go together in a Lovecraftian, Dunsanian sort of way that all kind of change from the beginning to the end, some more drastically than others. So, so did that answer your question?
4: Absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm like, yes. I, I mean, it's just, what I just, I gotta say I just wasn't as drawn to this particular work versus his more like, um, icky, creepy, crawly monster type. Vibes. Oh
3: yeah. 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 <laughs> this is the, let's ride around on zebras and have tea with cats kind of stories.
4: Yeah. It's the, it's like the, like, uh, it's like that, <laughs> the Tori Amos song, Space Dog. I don't know. It just kind of—it's just like all over the place.
3: Yeah, yeah. This is like his 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 B sides or his like uh, filler stuff that everyone's like, you know, yeah, Cats of altar, That's fun and stuff. But I want me some Doom. <laughs> I, want me yeah. some, uh, I want me some. I want me some Shadow over insmith, baby. <laughs> some cosmic dread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get some slime in there. Yeah. Uh, and, not much I, slime I think in these stories. He realized ones.
2: that he could not be. I mean, Lord Dunzany was his idol. He yeah. was this rich English nobleman who wrote fantasy poetry because he didn't have to do anything else. No. And, and I think he realized that he just was not going to be
3: Dunzany. No. No, and then he started reading a Welsh Sex Wizard by the name of Arthur Macken, and that started what? to change some things. Yeah. I'm
4: yeah. I'm so out of the loop. Welsh Sex Wizard? What?
3: <laughs> oh, Arthur Macken. He hung out with uh, uh, the beast and uh, everyone else in the golden Raleigh. whatever circle. Oh, oh,
4: oh, okay.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um Those guys. Yeah, he, yeah. He he wrote The Great God Pant. Yeah, which really kind of is, I don't know, I want to say that's uh, his version of Frankenstein, which then Lovecraft made his own version of Frankenstein, kind of copying and cribbing off of that when he made, uh, I, I i want to say Great God Pan really influences uh, My Brain Is Dun- Not Dunwich Working, Horror. Wilbur Whateley story. Dunwich Horror. Dunwich Horror, thank you.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. Dunwich Horror has... And I guess we'll get a little off topic, but yeah. Dunwich Horror, and again, what, it's a 110-year-old story? Yeah. And an 89-year-old story?
3: Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: He uh-huh. the ending of Dunwich Horror from The Great God Pan.
4: Sure, yeah. So Lovecraft is a big riff guy, huh? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I didn't yes. realize that so much as now that I've been doing more research with this show and it, I'm finding more and more he sure likes to ape a lot of people's styles, just yeah. saying. And he was open about it.
2: Yeah. yeah. He, he's very open about it that he's trying to get his own voice.
4: Yeah. Oh, he yeah. seems to find it towards the end there. Yeah.
3: The yeah. Part the middle. And Cats of Ulthar, I feel like is like, uh, if we're going to be talking about the dream cycle here and aping people, it's like, what if I mixed Poe with Dunsany. Would that be cool or would that be terrible? And it's like Lovecraft writing a humorous yet horrible fantasy story. And it's it's just this bizarre thing.
4: <laughs> I like that story, actually.
3: Yeah. Well, it, 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 it's
4: kind of almost folklore. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, it yeah. Definitely has Is that
4: kind of a thousand it, dreams
2: thing. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's another a huge influence is going to be um, uh, the Arabian Nights. That's going to be a huge influence on them. That's Definitely. Another.
3: Yeah. No. No. Uh, Arabian Nights, Dunsany, Poe. Um, those. Those are huge ones. Those are huge ones. I, right. I believe for like things like The Outsider, What the Moon Brings, Hypnos, uh, even Azathoth. Uh, there's. There's like, and a little bit like with Azathoth. Like you start to get a little bit of creeping in of Clark Ashton Smith's uh, work, like uh, just kind of like, oh yeah, I can make references to like deep ancient loves, and you know, I can I can ape Mackin. and you know, it's it's like Am- Ambrose Spears um, and Ambrose Spears who like kind of brought in this like weird weirdness, and of course. Our, 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 our good friend, uh, former Civil War uh, soldier and correspondent for uh, uh, the San Francisco, well, you know, um, Ambrose Pierce. Uh, he, his, his his weird stuff definitely influenced uh, uh, Lovecraft. And you can see kind of a little bit in some of these stories as well. Uh yeah, I-
2: Nurse influenced Chambers and Chambers influenced Lovecraft.
3: Yep, yep. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can call it cribbing, you can call it ape, and you can call it influencing. I like to think of it as all three um, oh. <laughs> theft,
4: copyright <laughs> infringement. I mean, yeah. what?
2: <laughs> but also to his credit, Lovecraft encouraged people to use his stuff, too.
4: He oh, yeah. did. He Lovecraft. had a shared open universe. and mm-hmm. He was like the Dungeons and Dragons. Oh. <laughs> the OGL of Lovecraft. Right, yeah. right. He totally was.
3: Yeah, and I, I, I think that's a great place to stop talking about Sarcommon, the Dream Cycle, and Lovecraft's influences. But yeah, no, it's... Because
2: if we went too far there, we'd be talking about actually my favorite, which
3: is next week. Oh yeah, you're right. All right. Well, what are we listening to? What are we talking about next week, there, Dave? We are talking about the doomed city of Sarnath. Whoa. That's one of my
4: favorites too, David.
3: Yeah, and I think I personally believe it's the introduction of the creatures that we'll, we we will later call the deep ones. But that's my opinion. <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna save that for next week. We're gonna save that for next week. All right, Dave. Uh, before we go into the next part, uh, can you tell us who you'll be chatting with?
2: So I am speaking with Ed Gwynn. Okay. We, a while back ago, about uh, two or three episodes ago, or issues ago, or whatever we call this. Yeah. We, go, we talked about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. And Ed Gwynn shows up at the end and saves the final girl. Yeah. And he throws a, a uh, wrench at Leatherface. Mm-hmm. We're also going to explain how he became my mother's favorite actor.
3: Okay. All right, that sounds cool. So we'll talk about that after a quick break, and then after that, we're going to be talking about one of my top ten horror movies, movies in general. uh, Mm -hmm. After after the break, so stay tuned for a little bit of uh, talk about the Black Lodge. uh, Talk about uh, blue roses. Yeah, blue roses, green rings, and all kinds of cool, fun stuff. But we're not going to
4: talk about Judy.
3: We're not here to talk about Judy. (laughs) We're not going to mention her at all. Yeah. Um, Moving on to the next part, just to remind everyone, if you like what you're hearing, like this episode, share it with people, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook. We're under People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. We're on Twitter, I don't really check Twitter, so it's just kind of the automatic feed. If you just want to listen to us on Twitter for some reason, you can find us on any place, any podcatchers that are out there. Of course, Facebook, Instagram, and, of course, the YouTube, where this episode will be. And, uh, yeah.
1: This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between...
2: Part of the show where I talk to somebody whose name is not D.B. or Gretchen, and we have a special guest today who I'm really excited about. Uh, can you introduce yourself to our audience?
6: Sure. My name is Ed Gwynn. I'm a native uh, Texan, uh, and uh, I've lived in lots of places growing up, but uh, I still claim uh, Austin as my uh, primary home. And uh, uh, that's it. And I think we're talking because of my part in a little uh, scary movie uh, 50 years ago.
2: Yes, you are my favorite character in that whole movie.
6: (laughs) And and that's why we won. And and what is that movie by chance? Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And and what is the name of the character that you play? Well, I'm just the cattle truck driver.
2: Yes. And and – So my mom asked me to tell you that you are her favorite actor. Uh, The truth is my mom doesn't know you and she would not see Texas Chainsaw Massacre if, you know, you paid her $1,000. But Uh you took the time, and even if I'm in my 50s, you took the time to talk to her son on the phone, you Uh are immediately her favorite actor, Tom Hanks who?
6: Yeah, right. That's great. So
2: my mom said, she told me three times last night. You've got to tell him how much I think he's the greatest
6: actor. Uh, that's sweet. Well, her her attitude about the movie directly parallels my wife's attitude about the movie, oh. so I understand entirely. <laughs> so, so how did you get involved
2: in uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre?
6: Well, uh, the history is can be, uh, I guess attributed directly my participation in the film has to do with Austin and the fact that Austin was a little town and it was a little town where everybody knew everybody else at least there were little cliques of people that knew each other and we were the cool kids and didn't have much to do with the rest of the population, there were about 50 or 60 people a combination of Motley, uh, you know, writers, artists, uh, mm. musician wannabes, uh, you know, just uh, uh, theatrical types. And uh, we knew each other. We hung out together. We went to, you know, uh, concerts and, you know, folk sings in those days. That's how, how I knew Janice Joplin. And she mm. was, you know, I wouldn't call her a friend, but she was certainly an acquaintance spend time with her, carried her drunk ass around a few places in the back seat of my car. You know, yeah. it was a, what it friends was a little sound. Do. Huh? What Friends Do. Yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, the, uh, the m- movie sort of percolated up a, a number of years after that period. The period I'm describing to you there was 60 60- – two, three, four, five, you know, when I came to Texas to go to school, mm-hmm. to UT, that is. And uh, then uh, uh, there were there was a magazine on campus. It was a comp, a comedy magazine, a comic mm. magazine called uh, Texas Ranger. And it was, you know, jokes and, you know, risque photos, meaning girls in the – you know, bathing suits maybe, or something, yeah. uh, and uh, quite quite scandalous at the time, uh, given that it was a half a century ago. Yeah. And uh, uh, we uh, hung out. I was one of the kids that stood on the corner and hocked these magazines to the frightened uh, newcomer students, trying to get them oh. to to buy them. And then the payoff for all of the distributor. Uh, kids was a uh, a keg party at the end of the week uh, after the uh, after the magazine was published and that was another kind of tightening of the, the it was a locus around which uh uh everybody kind of gathered out of that small group of artist types and uh uh among them was a guy named Bob Burns he was in fact Uh, an editor at one time of that magazine, The Ranger. Mm. And so I'd known Bob, you know, from basically 63 or 4. He was an Austin kid, went to school here, you know, elementary school, and obviously went to Texas, too. And um, uh, then years later, after uh, pursuing uh, a music career, which is – what I did and what I do. I'm a composer hmm. by training. Oh, that's, that's what I was doing at the University of Texas. Was studying composition, and uh, uh, I, you know, we started a band. We played, not not Bob, but me and other guys played in the band. Had a really good uh, career, you know, for a kid kid band, and uh, meaning a twenty year old kid. Yeah, I, I didn't think of myself as a kid at 20 then, I promise you, but, uh, I'll yeah. say I was a baby. And, um uh, <clears throat> then, uh, took the band. We went out to uh, San Francisco in 68 and, uh, our first show was, uh, with Santana and Ooh. Janice's group, Big Brother. And that was our, and we were the, the opening act for those two bigger names and, uh, you know, we were off and running. We got two or three gigs, and after the initial splash, it just all slowed down. And before you knew it, you know, we I wasn't really uh, performing music. I was looking for something to do, and so I got a job, got in the uh, longshoreman's union, worked the docks, made some money, and my brother-in-law, who, who was my wife's sister's husband, decided he wanted to be in the trucking business. Now, the only reason he thought that is he had ridden in a truck one time with a friend of his down I-35 as a passenger. So, he came out there, and we bought a truck. Oh. And we bought that truck, and I went from working on the docks to driving truck through Central Valley, California, hauling, tomatoes and pears and anything else, and, you know, it was fine, lots of money, good living, you know, at the time for us, and uh, that was it, and then eventually, as, as things go, my wife and I, we decided to move back home, something she's never been, she was never happy about, I think, ultimately. Yeah. Uh, ensuing forty eight years or whatever it was or forty five years. And uh, uh the uh the uh so we I drove the truck back, I brought my two cars and the trailer and uh, all our furniture and stuff, moved back to Texas and started, you know, kind of bumping around, putting a band together again and driving mm-hmm. my truck around town and then we started doing cross country driving with the truck hauling uh uh produce and stuff from the valley in texas valley out okay. to the west coast and that eventually uh, sort of morphed into uh other things and i drove the truck less and less and then one day bob burns called me up and said hey i've got this uh requirement for a truck you want to do a day's work i said sure you know you pay me i'll do it hence that's how i got the part bob knew they needed a truck and okay bob knew i had a truck long story short that's how it happened so
2: was (laughs) was was the name of your company Black Maria or did they make that it, name
6: sense? It it was indeed Black Maria. Oh, okay. I, I'm okay. Black. I'm Black. My brother-in-law's name is Eric. I mean, is Antonius Maria Kramer, a German boy. Ah, named okay. n- named after Eric Maria Remarque. Oh, okay. The the writer of All Quiet on the uh, That's Western. the one. Yep. So, wow. that was that was the uh the genesis of uh, the name, neither Tony I to this day know who in the hell came up with the name. And since Marilyn's dead, we, we, we blame it on her because uh, she was smart enough to uh, do something like that. But I don't really know who came up with it, but, you know, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. And, and uh, just quickly, uh, 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 who was it? Dan Pearl, who was the cinematographer, uh, when I met him at a show a few years ago, he said, you know, I couldn't believe it when I saw the truck drive up and I thought Toby, you know, had, had was so clever to come up with the name Black Maria, which was the, the name, coincidentally, mm-hmm. of uh, Edison's first uh, uh, film studio, oh. the, the Black Maria, because it was a big black uh, set mm-hmm. on a turntable that he could rotate into the sun where he needed it, and that was called the black maria of course also the cop wagons in new york were called black Mariahs, too so anyway but we were black maria and uh oh,
5: okay.
6: yeah so uh, i pointed out to him no toby was not that clever oh. <laughs> no i'll be, i'll be honest
2: i would love there to be a tv show where your character just drives a truck around the country And throws (laughs) wrenches at monsters and slackers. I would watch that until the TV melted. (laughs) Very good, very good. You know, is there anything though? Because your character basically shows up at the end of the movie, right? And you know, saves you know, saves the girl. We don't know his name. You know, did, did Toby give you any information or any background information? Maybe you created.
6: No, I don't remember any conversation with Toby one. I really don't. Um, In my
2: head, his name is Ed.
6: Huh? In my head, the character's name is Ed. Yeah, <laughs> that'll work. But uh, uh, yeah, I don't remember conversations with Toby about that. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't think I remember more interaction with the cinematographer. Sure. Uh, you know, telling me what to do uh but and and I remember him because i i I was annoyed by the number of times he made me run down the field i mean down the road
2: yeah. it was hot
6: as hell, and I was wearing thin sole shoes for some sort of reason oh. and uh <laughs> anyway yeah that uh but now what you saw was my interpretation of what uh was expected, but I'm sure Toby gets the bulk of the credits is he's the director, but I think it was uh, a lot of the inspiration came from uh, from Daniel Pearl, frankly.
2: Okay. Excellent. Now, is there maybe any other experience of shooting or maybe experience with fans uh, in the last five decades or so that you're willing to share with us or you can share with us?
6: Uh, Well, what people probably never made the logical connection to is – my time in the movie is about mm-hmm. was about as short as my time in the movie. In other words, I mm-hmm. went out on a given morning early to a truck stop where they had rented a trailer. We didn't haul cattle. So okay. I didn't have a cattle trailer. I went out to this truck stop where they had set it up, hooked up to this trailer and drove to the set at about 8 in the morning, started shooting drove uh up and down the road until about four thirty or five and then left and that was it. That's my entire connection to the shooting of the film. Ed was there and Marilyn was there and Gunner was there and that's it. I oh. never met I never met uh I never met anybody except for those three until forty years later.
2: Oh, okay.
6: I didn't know him. Didn't interact with him. I wasn't, a, you know, a theatrical type. I wasn't in pursuit of parts, and you know, mm-hmm. I just wasn't in the uh, in that uh, milieu, if you will. And so, yeah. um, there there was uh, very little interaction, you know, uh, on the set with any of the characters that we think of. I mean, I never met. I mean, uh, I don't think I'm, no, I didn't meet John even uh, until a show we did, all of us did in uh, Indianapolis. Uh, I met John there and Danziger I knew because I had, I I met Alan well after the movie. He hired Mm -hmm. my production company to do, write Mm -hmm. some music for uh, a, uh, a little company he had. It was kind of a a a goofy, uh, uh, dress up like a clown and go sing happy birthday for somebody, you know, at their office. Okay. That was his company doing that kind of stuff. And so I wrote him a couple of pieces that he could broadcast on, on the radio for, uh, his company. But that was, you know, probably 10 years after the movie. No, probably more like five years after the movie. Mm -hmm. But that's, yeah. I mean, I, I, I wasn't involved. They hired me, uh, what they hired, you see, is not an actor. They hired a truck. truck. I was the truck was the character. I was just the operator of the truck. You see, that's kind of the dynamic. It, so, it was a
2: two for one off a deal.
6: Yeah, yeah. You get they the got truck beat. and the driver. Right. Exactly. You couldn't get the truck without the driver. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, people that I've met, you know. Gunner told me this when I the first show I did, which was Texas Frightmare in Dallas, okay, um, and uh, that was 2012. Mm. Um, I did a I did a, a little movie for Kim uh, called Butcher Boys. I did you know just a cameo stick. My head pops up, yeah, walks around the corner. No lines, you know, goofy expression, and that's it. And the directors of that were uh, really in- wanted me to sign a poster they had. And I thought, well, sure. I mean, I don't know. And so I signed it. And he said, man, you need to, you need to, uh, people really want your autograph and blah, 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 blah. And I said, oh, okay. Well, great. Thank you. And it just went on back to my life in Austin, this yeah. shoot in San Antonio and uh uh this guy calls me up and wants me to come to Dallas and do do his show you know and i was floored when i got to that show um uh there were people had come from germany oh england, wow england you know canada a guy from italy uh all over the world basically just to get my autograph man and wow lord i left there with you know buckets of money it was astounding uh, wow. needless to say that got my attention oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah and that's really the most amazing thing about the whole affair is the fans their enthusiasm their love of the of the uh Genre and uh, the total uh, devote, devoted niceness that epitomizes them—you know, just wonderful—and that's probably okay. the best thing about the entire experience. And Gunner oh, okay. told me at that show because I hadn't seen Gunner for years. We went camping; he camped at the beach with us, maybe in mm. '80 or so. Oh yeah, I, I didn't tell you the connection with Gunner, and I'll go back to that in a second. But oh, thank you. And Gunner told me that, uh, he said, you'll never believe how nice all these people are and how much they really enjoy and appreciate what you do. And I thought, well, okay. And boy, by the end of that weekend, I I knew what he meant. Fabulous, fabulous interaction with the nicest people you've ever seen. Excellent. So Gun- Gunner, Gunner is is Icelandic by birth, okay? Okay. And he came, he was an immigrant kid, came to Austin as a young kid, and kind of grew up there. Antonius Maria is a German kid, born in mm-hmm. Leinstuhl at the German, at the American air base there after they bombed the hell out of uh, most of Germany. Yeah. And, and, and his father was a... uh was one of the uh scientists that uh, that the US brought over from the from the uh Nazis to uh I forget it wasn't uh wasn't rocket stuff but it was some technology thing brought him over and he brought the whole family with him it was you know oh. Tony and his brother and his sister and then the guy was he got he didn't like America and so he went back and his and his, his wife said You go back, I'm not going back to that And uh And so, here's Tony uh, A little German boy Uh Going through the school system And he meets Gunnar Who's the the little Icelandic kid And They grew up as close friends And Hmm. as a consequence Since Tony was my brother-in-law I knew Gunnar And Gunnar Uh Uh was you know best man at Tony's wedding at my brother's oh. wedding and you know it cl- sure. close ties again that Tiny Austin thing you know
5: yeah and
6: and um, um so Gunnar and I were already friends and acquaintances and as I said we he went camping with us he lived in Maine by then but he came mm. to the beach you know Port Aransas. And camped out with us down there because we did that frequently, surf fishing and, and hanging out and being stupid. And and uh, where was I going with Gunnar? So anyway, just a connection. Again.
2: Well, how how, how how you guys connected there?
6: Yeah, and then my other connection, uh, pre-dates, or does it post date? I don't remember. Ed and I, Ed Neal and I did a play together again i was sort of hired for the part rather than for my acting skills i think in that we did one flew over the cuckoo's nest together oh and my part was mute i didn't say anything i played big chief and i just kind of sat there Mm. and tried not to fall asleep Uh, and uh and ed was i forget ed was one of the crazies as you can imagine yeah, and um, but that was—I think that was—that must have been before the movie. No, it, had, it was after the movie. It must have been after the movie. Whatever, I don't know. Yeah. Um, what else? So I—I um, I do
2: have a question for you, though.
6: Yeah, what?
2: Are—are um, are you a horror fan? Um, I know that's a loaded
6: question, isn't it?
5: I'm probably
6: more of a sci-fi fantasy fan. Okay. If you that makes you and I are probably on the same page on that. I kind of, I like, I like, I like the thrills. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you call the 1952 the thing with James Arness uh, a horror film. I loved it. Oh, you know, yeah. the, where the the ship is found in ice, you know, and mm-hmm. the scientists let him out. Of course they've made about 15 of them since then, but yeah. The original one I thought was very good. I oh, like yeah. that kind of stuff. Okay, excellent. Excellent. I know a whole uh, lot less about uh, Halloween and uh you know, all that okay. other stuff.
2: Yeah. I mean, we, we, we all have our personal experiences, but but yeah, I remember sitting on my dad's lap, watching on a black and white TV, and then say, Yeah, that's the guy from Gunsmoke.
6: Yep. Yep. He was so damn big, you know. Yep. Perfect for the character.
2: Yeah. So, so I have a, this is our kind of our, our general question that we ask everybody.
6: Uh-huh. If
2: you could be in charge of, any one creative project, and <laughs> that is any type. You don't have to worry about price. You don't have to worry about copyright. It could be any medium. What's your dream project?
6: <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm glad you gave me that tip earlier. I thought about it because I wouldn't have known. But really, it will sound fairly effete, but I'd like to write – an opera. an opera. Ooh, I, I had a feeling it was going to have something to do with music. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's me. I mean, I'm, I did, I had owned a production company for thirty years and produced film scores, you know, and industrial music and all kinds of junk, uh, you know, for primarily industrial level scoring. So yeah, I I, I love Puccini, very accessible, and. My sense of melody is—I'd like to think—as—as as in the same direction as his, although not nearly as sophisticated. But yeah, it'd be—it would be some small operatic effort.
2: Oh, nice, nice. Well, if if ever do one, I will buy a
6: ticket.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> we do have a lot of people in the audience who are fans of you. Uh, is there any way any? They can keep in touch with what's going on, or do you have any uh, websites or anything that we can uh, let let them know about?
6: Uh huh. Well, my website is trucking dot com. Oh. That's that's kind of the commercial site where I have tchotchkes of various kinds available to buy. And mm. then on on Facebook, I have a a uh, a, a profile, a personality, and it's called The Official Ed Gwynn. Oh, cool. And that's where I direct fans to uh, follow me and, and, you know, check it out.
2: Well, excellent. And we'll make sure – I will talk to uh, D.B., our tech person, and we'll make sure that when we broadcast this that we have some links so it will be easy for people to find. Cool, cool. Thank you so much.
1: Hey, everyone. It's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Clary. Glary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices? Free shipping? 100% quality guarantee? Glary's has got you covered. Guitars. Bass guitars. Mandolins they've got saxophones trumpets drums they've got guitar cases amplifiers all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap check out the show notes to find more about glary 20 watt amplifiers for under 50 dollars hard cases for your electric guitar for under 80 guitars themselves for under 90 dollars come on folks check out the show notes Get a Glary.
5: Prepare for a spine tingling, nerve shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here, your host. Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price and Joel Hodgson listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon Island of Terror and King Kong and don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival Classic Monsters Modern Talk and the head of Rondo Hatton only on Monster Kid Radio
1: This part of the show doesn't have a theme song. This part of the show doesn't have a theme song yet. Dave and DB and Gretchen go to the movies. Hopefully next week we'll have a real theme song.
5: Yeah.
3: Hey everyone, speaking of Twin Peaks, I currently have been printing up uh, my own Twin Peaks Laura Palmer owl, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, ring. Her well, black I, lodge ring? Yeah, I, I always call it my owls. I mean, you know, because the owls are watching. Uh, yeah. It's my owl ring. And uh, so I'm printing one of those up in glow-in-the-dark plastic.
4: <laughs> I would like one.
3: <laughs> what size ring do you wear?
4: Um, I think it's an
3: eight. Okay, all right. I have it in eight. So mm-hmm. they they come in sizes. Yeah, well, I I adjusted it, I uh, sized it up and down because the original came in an eleven. I have a size nine finger, so or size ten something. I'm, I'm printing out a ten just to be safe, and uh, yeah, I'm doing that on my AnyCubic printer, folks. Cool. So if you want to, you can get one for 169 hundred and sixty nine right now. Uh, use my code. Uh, click on the link and get yourself a printer that you put together yourself, but it's a pretty decent-sized printer, and it prints really fast, and I like it a lot. All right, back to the show.
1: You're listening to KZOM, only in public radio.
3: Hey, everyone. We are back, uh, and we're we're, we're talking about movies this week. And the movie we're talking about is Twin Peaks, Firewalk with me, 1992, I want to say. Need... 1992, yes, directed yeah. by David Lynch. Uh, there is no Mark Frost to be heard of in this movie, so... Uh, I, I heard they, they were fighting by this time. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, they were fighting by this time, but we're not going to go into that so much. So there's certain elements that are not in this so much that would be in the television show Twin Peaks and something that people got mad about was the fact that it didn't have the same tone of a wacky quirky town with a murder going on and surreal elements occasionally so <laughs> what we got was a psychological horror with constant surrealist elements and symbolism and a dreamlike state much like Tarkovsky
2: so I have heard that people who have not experienced the series, yes, have a completely different experience and tend to enjoy it much more than those who have. Oh, interesting. And the the, the several things, and I haven't talked to these people, but I found several things online where to them it seems almost that because we're, and, and I, I liked the first season, and sure. then I think the, the second season. I had a college class around that time that I couldn't stay up and watch it or whatever, so I I fell off on the second season. But that to a lot of people who don't know the, isn't surrounded by the world. It's more with that this isn't this other universe bleeding in. It's Laura Palmer's coping mechanism when she realized that her abuser is her father, Mm -hmm. and that it's psychological, and that we only bring in the rest, because we know it, we frame it with the TV show.
4: Oh, interesting. I guess I can't watch it through those eyes. I mean, I just yeah. see it through the the eyes of somebody who's seen the series, and then went back, I mean, got to see the film when it came out on, on, on the movies. Oh, wow. Huh. But
2: I, I would say that this is slowly but surely Laura Palmer failing her sanity roles.
4: Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, yeah. she... Poor thing. Like, I mean, she self destructs throughout the entire film, and it's it's like heartbreaking. There's so many moments in this that are so heartbreaking. Like the the moment when she realizes that Bob is her father. That was just devastating. Watching her scream and like losing her cool as she walks, watch, watches her dad walk out of the house.
3: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was like,
4: my heart broke <laughs>
3: for her. No, and Cheryl Anna. Lee does an amazing job at breaking down emotionally on screen and screaming and just, like, projecting terror and receiving terror. She is just, like, amazing at that. And it's like, oh, wow. I mean, like, I thought Cheryl Lee looks a lot like my older sister. My older sister, she has this Cheryl Lee, Grace Kelly thing going on with long, wavy blonde hair and cheekbones and all that kind of fun stuff. And so for, for me it was always kind of weird that my sister and Laura Palmer looked a lot alike. Oh God.
4: <laughs> she could have gone for as Laura Palmer for Halloween many times, right?
3: Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, no. But um, yeah, Cheryl Lee is just, I think, amazing in this. And I, I, I knew who she was from other stuff too, because she looks like my sister. I was like, oh wow, that 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 lady in uh uh, that, that that car movie, Wrath, or Wraith. Mm. <laughs> really? mm. I, I didn't recognize her
2: from there. The only thing else that I really recognized that I saw her in uh-huh. is John Carpenter's Vampires. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah she's been in uh, quite a bit. And uh, even, even before this, she was in horror movies. So it's like she's a perfect fit for this. And oh, goodness. And I. I and think it's a it she,
2: she. She definitely gave it her all.
3: Oh yeah, mm. yeah. And I have to say, I prefer Moira Kelly for Donna. Uh, Donna Hayward. Absolutely. As oh my gosh. To Laura Flynn Boyle. Yeah, yeah.
2: There's a lot of people in this series that have the same sounding names. Yeah, yeah. Carolyn
4: <laughs> Finn, Cheryl Lee.
3: Yes, yes, and Sherilyn Finn not being in this. Uh, you know, it's sad, but it's really not a story that has anything to do with her whatsoever. So the
4: horns weren't necessary for a Fire Walk with Me. The no storyline that was purely dramatic um, stuff. Yeah, and to give so, a love interest for like Agent Cooper kind of
3: certainly, awkwardly. certainly until um, yeah, uh, and- Laura Flynn Boyle ruined that. Right. <laughs> Which we'll talk about when we talk about Twin Peaks, the series, sure. <laughs> next season.
4: Oh, so, yeah. good, because I want to definitely talk about it. That's great.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, the movie is, uh, you know, it's it's uh, Cheryl Lee, Moira Kelly, David Bowie, Chris Isaac, Harry Dean Stanton, uh, Ray Wise, Kyle McLaughlin, uh, What's-His-Face, who plays Albert. Uh, Miguel Ferrar. Yes, Miguel Ferrar. Yes,
4: Miguel Farrar. Yes, R.I.P. Oh,
3: R.I.P. As, and... as I, I call them,
2: Paul Baudet, Jose Farrar's uh, son, uh, the guy who sang Wicked Game, young Jack Bower uh, with a uh, bow tie. Uh-huh. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, Austin Powers' American girlfriend as a time traveling zombie. Uh.
3: Yeah, yeah. So we also have. Keeper Sutherland. Uh, Keeper Sutherland. Uh, We have David Lynch as one of my favorite characters in the whole series. Oh god, I agree with you on that. uh, Gordon Cole and uh, FBI Regional Bureau Chief Gordon Cole. I got to be specific on that. Yeah. Uh, And uh, Heather Graham. Heather Graham. Graham. So. Yeah. Yeah. And Heather
4: Graham was in this one.
3: Was yeah, a traveling
2: zombie that w- lies in the bed.
4: Oh, yeah, that's bed. right. That's
3: right. And, of course, uh, music by uh, Angelo Bellamonte. I always mess up that name, but I try.
4: <laughs> Angelo Bellamonte?
3: Yeah. Yeah, And I the love... movies... Oh, sorry. And Julie Cruz. Julie and Cruz's Julie music. Cruz. I don't know if she... Ha- Uh, does she sing anything in here
4: yeah that really tragic ending song she sings um i think it's called hang on it's called something about blue oh it's um questions in a world of blue okay it's that song where she's like the very like um angelic part is happening
2: Mm
3: -hmm. oh Okay. okay every time i hear it it
4: makes me just so sad
3: Gotcha! 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 It's that
4: moment when Laura's like accepting that she has that she has to sacrifice herself.
3: Yeah, the song that I really like that plays throughout this is uh, "Sycamore Trees" with vocals by Jimmy Scott. It's that horn, that slow horn, that's like, but yeah, it's 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 slow horn that kind of plays throughout the movie in bits and pieces. Uh, yeah, No, this is an amazing film, in my opinion. It, uh, it wasn't very well regarded when it came out, but as the years have gone on, it's become more and more well regarded, of course. Um, the interesting structure of the movie, it has kind of a, I, I don't want to say unbalanced, but it's kind of like the first third of it is a prologue It's a 30-minute prologue. Yeah, it's a (laughs) 30-minute prologue about a different crime altogether that is related directly. Um, And that is the uh, death of teenage drifter Teresa Banks, whose uh, body floats down a river and is then found by the FBI, investigated by Special Agents Chester Desmond and uh, Sam Stanley. To investigate, uh, Deer Meadow is kind of the bizarro or opposite Twin Peaks. E- the evil police- Twin Yeah, yeah, it's the evil Twin Peaks. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's the diner. Everyone's kind of mean, and it looks terrible. And we it's don't not have
4: any place- specials.
3: Yeah, they yeah. don't have any specials. Bad coffee. Bad coffee. Uh, and the jukebox isn't playing any Angelo uh, Badalamante. So I don't know what's up with that. Do you? And, think it's,
4: sorry to interrupt you, but do you think it has to do with like? Do you think it has to do with the concept that it could be, kind of a a Black Lodge on of itself? I
3: don't know. I I feel like it's it's it's. Uh, there's a lot of parallels. Like there's or influenced concepts of, by the
4: Black Lodge. What's that? Or co- possibly influenced by the Black Lodge.
3: Oh, definitely, definitely could be influenced by the Black Lodge. And but it's like uh, you don't have uh, you don't have the uh, big huge lodge. I mean, you don't have the big huge hotel. You have the dinky uh, trailer park. And yeah, but you, you do don't... have
4: curtains. It's yeah. constantly appearing. Besides the red ones that are mm-hmm. in the entrance of the Black Lodge, yeah. there's like the green curtains. Um, that where um, uh, b- 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 David Bowie's character walks through um, in the those deleted scenes. Uh huh. There, remember how he's coming out of the hotel room and then he passes through a set of green curtains. Yes. Yeah, okay. I have not seen
2: the deleted the deleted scenes. Yeah. What's that? I have not seen the deleted scenes.
4: It's um. We were talking about it earlier. Just saying that it's more worth just to see the David Bowie ones of the deleted scenes. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. And, and I, I definitely wanted more David Bowie.
4: Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Even with his rowdy, terrible Southern accent, it <laughs> my hurt my Southern heart. Good gravy. I've forgotten how bad that accent was, and especially the way he says Judy. Jowdy.
3: Yeah. No, it, it, it reminds me of how amazing Carrie Fisher's English accent is in Star Wars. Mm-hmm, yeah.
4: mm-hmm. Agreed.
3: But yeah, yeah, no. Um, <clears throat> the yeah, um, but Deer Meadow. It's it's a parallel of Twin Peaks. It doesn't have the fancy uh, hotel. It has the trailer park. It uh, the, the the diner's terrible. It doesn't have wonderful bright people working there. It has this woman who chain smokes and is just kind of like about everything. Uh, It's, it's, it has, it has a, um, what do you call it? Uh, the, the, the sheriff's department doesn't have coffee. It doesn't have anyone who's helpful. Uh, corrupt. Yeah, no, very corrupt. Um, you know, the, the deputy in Twin Peaks is like, you know, wouldn't hurt a fly while the deputy in Deer Meadows, uh, is is dealing cocaine. So,
2: <laughs> excuse me.
3: And the uh
2: the guy at the uh uh trailer park, yeah, is the first person to be killed by a full-grown xenomorph.
3: Yep, that's true. Harry Dean Ch- Stanton. Harry Dean Stanton, um playing himself as usual. <laughs> I think Harry Dean Stanton just plays Harry Dean Stanton, unless they're like, "Hey, we want you to play uh, a mean, crooked guy," and he's like, "Okay, well, I'll just have to do a mean, crooked Harry Dean Stanton." But <laughs>
4: I mean, that's what you hire him for—is that that base personality?
3: Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. And um, this 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 movie, um, it it.
2: It's, is... a, it's an onion. It's an onion. Yeah, I was well, gonna it's say. It's also
4: considered his masterpiece. That's what they're saying. A lot of um, a lot of movie quote, movie enthusiasts of David Lynch's films say that this movie is one of his like masterpieces. Yeah. Because it is so buried in um, lore and um, uh, of like, he's very into transcendental meditation. Mm-hmm. And he's really into a specific, like uh, I think it's called like Maya or something like that. Okay. Uh, the idea of Maya is um, that which is not and that which does not exist. Okay.
3: Interesting.
4: So it's kind of the it's part of the Judy thing where Judy is a metaphor for the surrounding spiritual ignorance of the extreme negative force of Maya and Maya yes. being the the nothingness. And so I feel like the everybody especially in like Deer Meadows are like really affected by this nothingness and this yeah. lack of spirituality. So whereas when you go into Twin Peaks there the dream starts to change and shift. Yes. And we're seeing like this idealistic world of like this teenage um icon and then we see the true darkness underneath and it's it's all so <laughs>
3: Yeah, so no, no. Much. <laughs> it, the 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 imagery of uh, that we first see of Laura Palmer is her and her best friend being like two sweet girls in the late '80s, early '90s, walking down a street in February, wearing sweaters, being Guga and like oh golly gee about everything. It looks like it could be the 1950s or '60s, but it's 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 this small college uh, not college town. It's this small um, town, uh, and a mill town. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a, a slightly large logging town. So.
2: <laughs> and, and, and Donna especially has, because she is the naive sort of innocence. She yeah, has yeah. this very fifties appearance, and Laura gets very upset. I mean, not just because she wore her clothes, but because she's becoming her.
4: Yes. Right. And she yeah. didn't want her to fall subject to Bob. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I no. think
2: Bob, but also everything else
3: that was negative in the town. hmm Yeah. Which it's Which influence. is all an influence. Yeah. yeah, it's an influence. And oh goodness. Uh, the influence where it comes from. That that's its own episode itself. But I, I wanna say like the short and long of it is. There's this dark influence that Leland Palmer brought into Twin Peaks as a child from his... I can't remember if it's grandparents or aunt and uncle's uh, summer home. There was a man named Bob that somehow affected him, and then he became affected by Bob. But that could just be a... uh, um, metaphor Same. for child abuse. So, right. so the, yeah. So, so the
2: Turvey I found mm-hmm. when they originally wrote the series, they wanted it that they never knew who the murderer was. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Bob, the guy who plays it, mm-hmm. Silva, I forgot what his first name is. Oh, he, um, he, he he's the set dresser. Yes. yeah, he's yeah. the he set dresser. It. And that you know. It came to him because he was, like, in an angle. He wasn't hiding well enough, and it dawned on, you know, Lynch, this is a great character. But apparently, if you go back to the original episode, mm-hmm. he's actually accidentally in a mirror.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: So oh, yeah. It's, it's it's almost like they planned it that way.
3: Yeah. No, no. Um, David Lynch has admitted that he likes happy accidents. and Yeah. He likes happy accidents as much as he likes yellow American Spirit cigarettes. He, he, <laughs> like he likes
4: Silva. them because they're Frank. they're like. Sorry, David. Oh. no,
3: I'm the one to interrupt
2: you. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, the uh, actor's name is Frank Silva.
4: Yeah. Frank Silva. Yep. Uh, he um, he likes that whole he, because he's whole so um, inter intertwined with um with that transcendental stuff. He's like he any kind of happy accident like that happens he's like there's there's a reason for it
3: (laughs) oh yeah i i read his book uh suffocating inside of a, no no catching the big fish one of the chapters is called like suffocating inside of a uh plastic clown suit um and it's just more like i don't anyway uh, catching the Big Fish, it's David Lynch talking about his meditations and TM and all that other kind of uh, transcendental meditation. I don't do it, but I nobody know about it. Nobody pay for it, it. by and, the way. Nobody pay that? for
4: it. Nobody pay for it. Don't take a class on it. You can do it online. Don't okay. pay for it.
3: Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> it's, it's, well, that ends my summer job. <laughs> for me to figure out, but yeah. Um, <clears throat> but he'll talk about, like, he'll just, like, have a cigarette, go into TM, and then come out and go, oh, I need to make a lamp, and while I'm making that lamp, I am going to think about this, and I'm going to use this lamp to light up the room over there, but then I'll also know what this person's thinking because they made the lamp. And it's like, okay, cool, all right. If that's what works for you, David, then do it. (laughs)
4: I love like all the dreamy um, sequences in this film. Also, yeah, like sure. the um, the the old lady and the little boy with the mask up, walking oh, up to her and going, "This picture would look good on your wall." Yes. Um, those kind of moments have a to me like a slightly Lovecraftian vibe. So I, that's why I was telling you earlier how I thought these were so so good together. The Dreamlands and then talking about this film because there are those dreamy elements and then like the. The boy taking like whispering behind his mask, talking about the man behind the mask.
3: Yeah, yeah. There's there's things like the high house in the mist that kind of feel like uh, Black Lodge kind of stuff. And oh, there's absolutely. There's definitely definitely like uh, Robert W. Chambers, uh, King and Yellow stuff that has always made me think of Twin Peaks. And oh, I vice totally versa. could see that. V- very much sort of see the Black Lodge as as
2: yeah. Arcosa.
3: Yeah, and I, I absolutely. I can see- I can see how the Black Lodge could be something kind of like in between Carcosa and the Dreamlands,
4: mm-hmm. yeah.
3: and that. yeah, it's 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 something that leeches out and affects the areas around it. And it's like by the time um, I, I I don't know if like Deer Meadows is like the place where Bob came from originally. I would have to watch the show again and see if what Leland says and. Uh, but, oh man, that sounds too hard. I, I have to watch (laughs) Twin Peaks again. But no,
4: I've, I'm always, uh, I feel like there's like an annual have to watch kind of vibe for it. Yeah.
3: Oh yeah, definitely. And, um, but yeah, no, no, I, I feel like it came from someplace else and that place has probably been affected. And I want to say it's probably Deer Meadow and it's going to move to Twin Peaks and it's going to start consuming Twin Peaks, uh, with the ghostwood projects and the 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 you know it's it's starting with the ghostwood projects the death of Laura Palmer the ghostwood projects uh the 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 the, the uh, lumber mill burning down uh it's 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 like the town's starting to, to to die if like the town's favorite daughter is dead and like one of the head of the towns is the one who did it and it's like Bob's gonna move to somewhere else to something else and it's like we I feel like we haven't talked about Bob, but we've talked about Bob. But what I don't know. <laughs> Bob? Yeah, I feel like we've talked about Bob, but I don't know. It's it's this concept of this thing that can move from body to body. Well, he's
4: a parasite, right? Yeah. I mean, like, and ultimately, and his main goal is the production of Garmambosia, right?
3: Which is human suffering and looks like cream corn.
4: Delicious. Yes. Especially that scene of like the dwarf. Um, I'm I'm only saying dwarf because that's what they call him in the movie. All right, everybody. Okay. Yes. Dwarf. Um, th- the the dwarf in the movie in the movie. Um, there's that close-up scene where he's eating the garbambozia. We have to watch in slow motion. Mm-hmm. The corn mm-hmm. going into his mouth. It's like. Bleh. <laughs> yeah. The,
3: the man from the other place saying garbanzoia.
4: Doesn't he and- also say he's the arm?
3: Yes. The arm. Yes. Yeah, he's he's the arm. So we're s- to assume that he's talking about Teresa Banks' arm that went dead for a couple of days, which we find out when Chester Desmond talks to the head waitress at Haps Diner, the the anti uh double R Diner. <laughs> the bizarro double R. But yeah, yeah. And then that makes you go, well, okay. In this place that exists above a convenience store, we have Bob. We have the man from another place. Um, The
4: the magician, right, is the one-armed man.
3: Yeah, Mike. Yeah, Mike. But that was an
4: intense moment too, right? That moment where he pulls up on the side of beside um, Laura Palmer and her father driving around, and he's screaming. And Laura's like screaming and starts covering her ears because she yeah. doesn't want to hear it and doesn't want to acknowledge it.
3: Yeah, and it also introduces another thing that you know that you're close to the Black Lodge if it smells like burnt oil. Yeah, which is something they touch on in the show a little bit, and they touch on the movie a little bit. They
4: bring it back round for the 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 re the rehashing
3: season. Yeah. Season,
4: the was it is it called season three?
3: I think it's called The Return. Okay, so
4: Twin Peaks Return, they definitely bring back because, again, no Mark Frost. Um,
3: yeah.
4: So it has that, it almost feels like you're skipping over, like the, the series didn't exist and that mm-hmm. you're basically going from, boom, fire walk with me, and then The Return. has yeah. It has a little bit of that vibe.
3: Yeah. I
4: mean, there are still some elements of the Twin Peaks series that are in that, but I definitely think it has more of a that that vibe of, and that that dreaminess uh, that mm-hmm. the, that Firewalk with Me has.
3: Yeah, yeah, and there's parts of the return that I've seen and that I know about that it's like, is this a dream of a dream or is mm-hmm. this like the reality? And it's like, is it's it's like it seems like this place has gone to complete and utter hell, much like Deer Meadow, maybe even worse. But and it's like, is that the influence of you know the Black okay. Lodge? Because it's, it's the influence of Maya. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway, it's 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 like, uh, yeah, Twin Peaks in the Return. Not to ruin this for anyone, isn't the greatest place. It's it's you know, ah, it's like when you go back to Hill Valley after, uh, you know, and it's Biff's. <laughs> yeah. Giftskill Valley, Hell Valley. But yeah, it's, I mean, there's no time travel. Oh, actually, I don't know. It's kind of, I can't say that there's no time travel in Twin Peaks because there's always stuff existing at the same time in Twin Peaks. (laughs) (laughs) Or like stuff existing 25 years apart, but it's happening at the same time.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. So if we've got
2: a second, I want to talk about my favorite symbolism here. Oh, go for yeah. it! The broken TV. Oh yeah, yeah. Broken TV is, in my opinion, is three things. It it's the physical TV that was destroyed when Teresa Banks was killed. Sure. Yes. But it's also it's sort of it's also representative of the Black Lodge and all this. The TV signals are always around us. Yes. Even if we're not tuned into it. Yes. And, Mm-hmm. We can't get a clear picture, but then at a meta level it's we're breaking away from TV and becoming a movie.
3: Yes. And also it's kind of like how David Lynch's Twin Peaks is about a treatise of violence on television if you believe that theory. And a treatise of so. violence against women on television, if you believe that theory. I I would go with that. Yeah. I think and that's... another a, a thing I want to say about um the Black Lodge and transmissions and stuff is that the man from another place at one point in time, it seems like at first he's doing kind of like a, oh goodness, I don't even want to make the sound because it's, it's very offensive, but like a quote unquote, like Indian sound. Oh, Like when you put your hand over your mouth and anyway, but what he's imitating is um, like old uh, intros to like television or movies where it's like do 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 It's like woo, 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 kind of like they they Oh yeah. The oh
4: yeah, the back there. the back like the um those old I remember those intro things. They use it in Rocky Horror Picture Show as well. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I know exactly what we're talking
3: about. Yeah. I don't
4: know what so. those are called. Interstitials? I don't know.
3: Yeah, it's just the the intro, but yeah, yeah. And and that's that's like ah oh, weird stuff that David Lynch weaves into things. And another thing that I always look for in David Lynch films is a man in a park ranger hat standing next to a log, because that's David Lynch's father when he was a a federal park ranger or uh, uh, federal—I can't remember if it was like for the parks department or for the timber or what it was, but his father worked for the government in— heavy timbers, so there's this picture that appears in the background of stuff. Sometimes it's blown up really big, sometimes it's really small, sometimes it's a circle frame, sometimes it's a square frame, but he'll have print- pictures printed up and, like, hang them up places throughout, and sometimes multiple people will have the same photo in their house. And Oh,
4: cool. That's cool.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and people are like, I like oh, wait. Your,
4: um, your, your pick there, David. That was a good one.
3: Oh, thank you.
4: Exactly. Yeah, I mean, because it honestly, it, it's it's really real. It's, that's a really good one because also if you think about the way the characters fade in and out like a TV signal. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you go into like again Twin Peaks Return, there's a lot of things about signals and yes. um like traveling sounds and whatnot. Yeah, I, I'm I'm down. I agree. Yeah. That's a great. That's a great one. The the other
2: one that I just loved is when the angel disappears from the picture.
4: Yeah. Yeah. That was so sad.
2: Yeah. But, and, and, you know, again, spoilers, but you know how the movie's going to end because you've seen the first 10 minutes of the pilot.
4: Right. And there's no denying that.
2: The happiest ending it could.
4: Right. It's, it's, it's not. I thought it was going to be, I was going to describe it originally as nihilistic, but it's not. It has some hope. And she, like, the fact that she sees angels means that she was able to, save herself as well from like yeah. her c- full corruption like she wasn't completely corrupt when she died and that's no. why she chose to kind of die so to speak because she knew going into that that she was not going to make it through that night
3: yeah yeah no um and uh, the thing that i wanted to point out is like some people are like, oh, it's 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 the same angel, and it's not the same angel. It's two different actors portraying angels. Like Ronette's actor, and uh, Ronette's angel and Laura's angel are two different people. Yeah. But it's like they've both come to a point of salvation. Like Ronette escapes and is is found the next day in Twin Peaks, the television show, and Laura Palmer she is in the Black Lodge or the Red Room or whatever,
5: mm-hmm.
3: but she's not going to be uh, messed with, with by Bob anymore because, unfortunately, Bob is no longer in the Red Rooms or anything, or the the Black Lodge. He is out in the living, yeah, out in our world, inhabiting Cooper's body, which, where's Annie?
4: Um, oh, Annie.
3: Yeah, and... Yeah, it's 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 uh it's it's kind of a happy ending, but it's also a terrible ending at the same time. I mean, it's Cooper and uh, Laura Palmer's soul are are stuck in the Red Room, and they're gonna be there for 25 years. So that's something. The thing that I think about is how the original show was set up like a satire of like late night, not late night, but evening soap operas like mm-hmm. Dynasty and Falcon Crest and Knott's Landing, shows like that. And they also have a parody of their show that also is like, oh, here's some extra keys to the puzzle. Uh, we're gonna let you know what's gonna happen, but we're gonna do it with this show and it's 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 just very bizarre that it's, it's like they have that kind of thing. And a lot of those shows at the time were very much kind of like women in their 20s and 30s walking around in like lingerie and silky robes and stuff like that. But what David Lynch and Mark Frost are doing is they're doing it with like 19 and 20-year-old, 20-something, uh, early 20-year-old women who are playing underage prostitutes.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: and that's so like how the hell did they get this on the air is what i'm feeling and then you're watching the movie and it's like oh yeah laura's a teen prostitute leo johnson and uh jacques renault are her pimps so mm-hmm. Ra- Renette runette is also a prostitute and she's freaking out because she doesn't want donna to get into this world yeah of like prostitution and hard drug use and it's oh man it's 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 uh there's there's stuff that's taken out that really kind of uh pushes the point that Lara is a teen prostitute and that Leo is like in charge of her it's really kind of gross stuff and, and they had to be much more subtle in the series they had oh, to be yeah. so much more subtle in the series, and like, uh, they have like one eye jacks, but, uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, they 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 weren't being explicit about what was happening at one eye jacks, but you know, it's-
4: yeah, there's a lot more exp- there's more nakedness in uh, this one in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: It's <laughs> yeah, like yeah.
4: boobs, and you're like, ew, this is underage boobs that I'm seeing. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's not supposed to be titillating. I don't. I don't feel. Yeah,
3: I don't. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think
4: feel like Canada's it was...
3: like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. And there's, there's like characters that come back from the show that I'm super glad to see. Uh, Bobby Briggs, uh, one of my favorite characters, uh, played by uh, Dana Ashbrook, um, in the Twin Peaks pilot, which is slightly different than the first episode. Um, we're not going to go into that. There's The main thing that's missing is a fish in a percolator. Uh, um,
4: the, uh, the movie is missing Jack Nance.
3: Yeah. R.I.P. Yeah, yeah. But the, uh, the, um, the pilot for the show had a scene where uh, someone puts fish guts into a percolator, and then uh, Agent Cooper... And uh, Sheriff uh, uh, Truman uh, drink this fish coffee. Anyway, uh, also in the pilot, Dana Ashbrook is a far better actor than he is in the series, and he's also a far better actor in Firewalk with Me than he is in the series. He comes off kind of as like, uh, like just like an '80s bully in. The television show but in this movie he comes off as a three-dimensional character who's doing things that are just like terrible self-destructive awful stuff because of the influence of laura because you know she's if, got it if, wrapped around her finger yeah if, all if the d- men if she has like
4: this magic ability to like titillize any man and oh around yeah her.
3: yeah yeah and is it the influence of the red room is it absolutely you know yeah and, you know, if, if we're to be to believed, uh, Bobby used to be, like, a clean-cut, like, basketball, uh, football player, you know? If, if we're to believe what what his father said about him in, like, season two and, like, what other people said about Bobby, uh, Bobby, Bobby wasn't a bad guy, and then Bobby became a, a insane jerk. <laughs> but... um yeah, and didn't have to bring back James. I hate James. Oh, James. Yeah, and the other thing I was going to say <sighs> is James Hurley, the character of the uh, bicycle uh, motorcycle riding nitwit, who is just like he's there to be someone who is clearly wrapped around Laura's finger, um, yeah. or someone who's about to be wrapped around Laura's finger and be corrupted. And it's 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 like. Once that that's that's realized, James should have just gotten on a bike and went to go see his mom in California and left the show forever.
4: Yeah, he should have popped smoke real quick. <sighs> I mean, honestly. He, he did not see that coming. I mean, the fact that she was screaming at him going, you're too good for me. Yeah. You know, I, the, he, I, he is dumb. Yeah.
2: Although I did love the scene that when
4: he does leave on the bike, yeah
2: mm-hmm. there it focuses on the uh the street light or yeah. uh, the the stoplight mm-hmm. you know and it, it it doesn't he he chooses to leave until it turns red you know the, the light there it's it's one of the old ones that has go written on it yeah and, and you know it's telling him to go, but he he can't leave until it turns red. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a very Beautiful symbolic scene.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Um when I think about like what role Bobby plays, not Bobby, uh James plays Please. in the TV show and the movie. And it's it's like, oh man, I guess he does have to kind of be around for like the Maddie Ferguson stuff, but mm-hmm. I don't know.
4: <laughs> Even that was a weird choice, I thought. But.
3: Yeah. I mean, but uh Cheryl Lee was such an amazing actor, they wanted her on the show more. And it's like, well, we'll bring in her doppelganger, uh, Maddie Sir- Ferguson from Missoula, Montana. So yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, what else do we have going on in this 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 movie here?
4: Gosh, I mean it's I mean, I could draw from so many things. Um, the, the log lady it was i can't remember was she she wasn't it was she in firewalk with me yes
3: yeah, yeah. she yeah that's is right. hanging she... out in front of the uh bar that uh laura and yeah what's what's she... the log lady hanging out doing hanging out in front of the uh bang bang room that's,
4: i think that's why i could like i kind of glossed over in my mind where she was at in the film because yeah. She was in such a bizarre place. I, I love I love that character. I, oh, I yeah. have a tattoo but, of. But do you Buffalo know how blog. that character
2: got created?
4: What's that?
2: You know how that character got created? How's that? So she was actually I think a prop uh, a wrangler in one of Lynch's stories, and she was carrying logs for for some movie. Oh. And funny. So Lynch saw this, and the original idea was that they were going to do like a semi documentary where she would go to, like, astrophysicists and poets, and they would have to explain what they did, not to her, but the log. Oh,
5: that's that's great.
3: (laughs) Yep. Oh, yeah. That's fun. That's fun stuff. Um, Yeah, no, no, she'd been working. uh, Catherine uh, Coulson had been working with David Lynch forever. She was married to Jack Nance at one point in time. They got divorced in like 76, but uh, really? yeah. All yeah, I she... know
4: about her is her daughter is a rabbi in Ashlyn. Okay.
3: But yeah, um, that's where she lived until 2015, where she passed away. But yeah, yeah no, um, she was part of David Lynch's crew uh, going back as far as Eraserhead uh, um, and uh, her and david lynch got into uh meditation at the same time
5: mm-hmm.
3: but yeah they met at school <laughs> but yeah she's one of those characters that uh really kind of doesn't really make the series like it's you don't she's, need the yeah. sorry you i was
4: gonna say she's a very dreamy character
3: she is a very dreamy character you don't need her to be part of the story she doesn't she's she's kind of like a soothsayer that like plants ideas in your head or she's the person who warns i mean you know she's she's the harbinger she's uh she doesn't like
4: she's the chorus in the greek tragedy
3: Yeah. yeah and yeah no 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 log lady's an amazing character but um yeah there's there's uh Characters that are uh, just briefly even uh, shown uh, in the, the the room above the the the, uh, the room above a convenience store, which is different than I don't know if it's different than the 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 uh, red room or the black lodge in some way, but it's this place, and it's this place where um, Killer Bob and a man from another place. And, uh, the old woman and her grandson mm-hmm. and a couple other people, one person known as the electrician and the other one known as the woodsman. So I don't, and, and, and these characters also do kind of appear in Twin Peaks and The Return, um, And they I I feel like they represent something that I don't quite understand that has something to do with like the spirit of radio or electrical transmission and the spirit of the old West colliding. There's there's something about that in Twin Peaks that I don't one hundred percent understand but I don't know if it's just supposed to be kind of an ethereal concept that you're not supposed to understand.
4: I think that's the uh, the point of them, is they're representations of like personalities or traits or things like that that are supposed to be giant metaphors.
3: Yeah, and I don't really feel that Twin Peaks has any hard, hard, like, this is what this is specifically, this is what this is about specifically. Absolutely. It's all very vague and dreamlike, and I think people who try and go this and this and this, and I'm like, okay, Twin Peaks generally has like, your dark Boy Scout, who's your main character, and then you have, like, the other dark Boy Scout who is your antagonist. You have, like, the, uh, the dark disheveled character who is, like, the ultimate antagonist, but you also have the, the uh, woman who knows what she's doing and doesn't need anyone to tell her, but also at the same time, is going towards a great darkness while realizing it, but unable to do anything. Yeah. Um, and like, I feel like you could splice together um, Blue Velvet, Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, uh, bits and pieces of Twin Peaks, um, Lost Highway. Uh, I would w- not, not even there yet, but oh. um, uh, Wild at Heart. Mm-hmm. And um, not Lost Highway, but uh, 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 oh, uh Drive, not Maholland Drive either. Um, Inland shit. Empire, it's not. oh, it's oh, I, I just have to double check real quick, and I'll probably forget to take this part out while I'm checking uh, his filmography, but yeah, Lost Highway, so it is Lost Highway. Um yeah it's it's like from like 99 to about 86 there's these films that all really have this kind of like I wouldn't say through line but I don't know you could definitely take Blue Highway, Wild at Heart and Firewalk with Me and edit together especially since there's like people who appear in all three of those movies that mm-hmm. appear in Firewalk with Me uh, but also appear in Blue Velvet or in Wild at Heart. So, or am I thinking Mulholland Drive?
2: I can't. Remember. my understanding, and I know there's a lot of fiction to that, but uh, Mulholland Drive was originally going to be um, the Audrey Horn story. Okay. It was originally, yeah. originally written as a spinoff for Audrey. Okay,
4: okay. Which, oh, man, that would have been so good. I would love yeah. to have seen more of I mean, I, but I love that actress. I, that was, I, had a, I have a big crush on her. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I think everyone did. Oh, my gosh. It, like it her, was the, she
4: was yeah. one of the ones that I was like, oh, I know I like ladies.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> it, it, it was the cherry stem.
4: Right? I, yeah. It was her moles, too. Woo, she's just so cute.
3: Yeah, no, no. It's uh, sadly she wasn't in the movie again. Yeah, um, but she I,
4: wasn't necessary.
3: Yeah. No. The yeah. The whole no.
4: Horn family story—it was like a totally not necessary. I mean, at least for the film.
3: Uh, yeah, for <laughs> the film. Um, but I don't know. I, I I do feel like for the television show, it is definitely necessary because you have Ben Horn, who is this this person who loves this place, but is also totally willing to sell it off.
4: For money. At,
3: for, for, for just the money. And he's shady, and he doesn't care that he has a place up north that has uh, uh, child prostitutes. I mean, he's Ben Horn. He's making money, and morals are other people's problem. And right. And just kind of like what stuns from that, and like, and and then you have like this very Lynchian character in Audrey Horn. She's kind of like the young female uh, uh, Cooper, and she's mm-hmm. like, I want to be a junior detective. I'm the dark boy scout here now, Mister. And you know she gets into trouble trying to help Cooper, and that's kind of like the whole, like. That's what the dark boy scout does. Is yeah. I, I I don't know. It's it's uh, I I'm trying to think of what the equivalent of a dark uh, the dark boy scout is in like uh, Joseph Campbell. And it's it's just the hero, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but David Lynch creates a lot of heroes in one story. Like we had Chris Isaac as the hero at first, and then it switches to Kyle MacLachlan, and then it switches to. um Uh, 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 Laura Palmer yeah to uh, Laura herself what's that?
2: Laura herself is is
3: the hero of the story yeah Mm. yeah yeah and in this story like Laura is playing like the person who is a good person but they have like a darkness about them that you know she doesn't expunge it but she does in a way going back to the
2: it's the reverse or the dark hero's journey
3: yeah Mm. yeah And uh, one final thing I wanted to say, though, is, oh, shoot, I forgot what I was saying. (laughs) But it's an amazing film. I love it so much. There's so many things about it. I mean, I feel like. If if we sat down, we could probably do a two-parter on this. But Oh absolutely.
4: Yeah. I, would, I would love to talk more about Twin Peaks. I'm looking forward to oh, yeah. next season for talking Perfect, about the certainly. the return.
3: <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's 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 a great show. I remember the thing I was gonna say, it's like it's like reverse nihilism, or it's 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 it's, it's not reverse nihilism. It's it's like a lot of times In, like, darker stories, you'll have, like, someone who starts out as, like, this beautiful, sunny person. And as things go along, things get darker and darker. And by the end, this person doesn't believe in anything good, doesn't believe in anything light, doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe... You know, it's just kind of, like, out for themselves, kind of like the, the, the fall from grace kind of, like, good character. But this is, like, a character who... In the very beginning we we see her uh like oh I'm everyone's favorite, I'm the town daughter, and uh then we see like she's not up to good, you know, she's 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 in a lot of trouble, she has a lot of bad stuff going on for her, but in the end she she gains salvation uh through like Judeo Christian uh, Christian imagery, but yeah. Mm. Which and
4: also I think sacrifice of soul, like yeah. Um, gives her renewal.
2: Mm-hmm,
4: mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and my I favorite just, thing. Go ahead. No, 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 please. I was just gonna say one of my favorite things that's come out of this entire series is the the main quote for Fire Walk with Me.
3: Uh huh.
4: I love that particular quote. The through the darkness, a future past, the magician longs to see one chance out between two worlds. Fire Walk with Me.
3: Ooh, right. Yeah. So
4: good. Let's rock. <laughs> yeah i would say that the
2: series you know and as a character laura palmer is defined by her relationships which is completely legitimate mm-hmm. because everyone else is defined by their relationship to laura yes that doesn't, bad writing it doesn't even mean sexist writing she is a interconnecting character yeah yes. her life and her death is what drives the story
3: correct yeah even after she dies she's still a main character in twin peaks the town itself is its own character which Mm -hmm. i seem to bring up like everything we're doing lately i'm like the town itself is a character but yeah twin peaks the town of twin peaks is its own quirky town that has its own thing going on uh it's it's not like super quirky like northern exposure super quirky little Mm -hmm. town but it is like it's it's a little town that everyone knows each other, and the the <laughs> sheriff's department's a little inept, but they're good guys, and everyone knows your name down at the diner, and you know the every you know high school has a great team, and you know and the and the the homecoming queen, why that's Laura Palmer. She helps out with the Meals on Wheels, and she does everything, and I don't know. It's she got that <laughs>
4: weird friend. that... Make, has orchids and he's kind of oh. creepy too.
3: Yeah, Harold. We didn't g- <laughs> I didn't want Well to Harold wasn't
4: about. didn't make much of an appearance in um Firewalk with me.
3: Right. Yeah no it's 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 like just like uh Laura being like this is this is my diary. My you know I gotta hide it from Bob and uh Bob's been doing this since I was a child and hide this book and then she does like the turns into like black lipstick uh Laura Palmer for a moment. She looks
4: like um when she has the black lipstick and the pale skin and the uh-huh. yellow teeth. Yeah. She reminds me of the shadow man from Lost Highway. Oh
3: yeah. Right? Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's
4: not to it's, like diverge us even more, I know sure. near yeah. end time.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, no, it's 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 a great movie. Um, If you haven't seen it, and we haven't ruined it for you, uh, go watch it. If you have seen it, you agree with it, it's fun, uh, watch it again. I'm going to put in the show notes a link to archive.org so you can watch the Blue Rose Edition and see all the extra stuff. And you can decide for yourself if it's necessary or not to have scenes with uh, Andy and uh, Sheriff Truman and whatnot, but yeah. <laughs> Way more
4: more David Bowie.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Well, I think that's it for Firewalk with me and unfortunately the end of the episode. So yeah. Um, any plans for this week?
4: Um, recouping from this cold I think I caught.
3: Oh, okay. All right. Anything you want to recommend that you've seen this week? <laughs> sure, but my family's not gonna get together for two weeks. okay.
4: Oh, you're not going to be able to do Easter together?
2: Well, no, no, we are. We're just going to oh. do it the week after.
4: Oh, huh? nice, nice.
2: Because we have our own little timetable.
3: Nice. Cool. Anything you two want to recommend that you've seen uh, in media or I don't Well, know. I definitely
4: recommend the documentary about um, David Lynch's work with Transcendental Meditation because it is interesting to hear his thoughts and um, where he's coming from and where how he weaves that into his storytelling and films and whatnot. It was um I wish I remember the name of it, but it was on um YouTube. You can look it up Transcendental Meditation with David Lynch. <laughs> okay.
3: All right. Very cool. Dave, and do you have anything I've been, to recommend
2: I've this? Been watching the weathering and or goats.
3: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, I wanna recommend uh oh goodness. I can't remember what the it's it's uh, I want to recommend any documentary about the history of the English language and uh, where our words and why we pronounce them the way that we do, uh, or in the English language, uh, mm. roughly and anything like that. It's always fun. I think I found one on HBO or Curiosity Stream, one of the two. And yeah, yeah, it was it was it was really fun. I always like that part of language stuff, history. Anyway, <laughs>
4: other than that, I'm reading, um, I'm reading some manga, Oro- Orochi like uh-huh. manga right now. That's it. All
3: right. Very cool. All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for being on the show. And everyone, thank you for listening to the show. We appreciate it. Tell your friends, tell your family. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and of course, pgttcm.com check the show notes to see how you can save money on all kinds of cool sponsors that we have and uh, yeah check out what we're going to be talking about in the future next week we are talking about do 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 we're talking about Sarnath and the original Hellraiser film so <laughs> so
4: good yes I know
3: yep yep so yeah Sarnath, Hellraiser, I haven't figured out how they go together yet, but... Me either.
4: (laughs) I found the the way between these two.
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, alright, so next week, Sarnath, Hellraiser, if you want to watch along, oh, we're not going to watch it real time, but if you want to know what the film is, so you can watch it and be a part of the discussion in the show notes or Anywhere we post things again on the Facebook, whatever. So that's that. And the week after that we have uh my favorite uh rogue from a uh Clark Ashton Smith story, uh Satampra Zeros, and then we have Silent Hill, the uh first Silent Hill film. So i
4: haven't watched that in a million years, so that'll be okay. a good rewatch.
3: It's fun. It's fun. And uh, after that, we're gonna start going with some of Gretchen's picks. So yeah. Woohoo! Yeah. All right. Well, have a good one, and I will talk to everyone later. That was a good show.
4: That was a good show. <laughs>